Well, happy new moon to everybody. I hope everybody's doing well today, and I hope that you've come to learn something from Yahweh's Word tonight. That's the reason we're here, right? We've come to learn from Yahweh. It's been my prayer today that Yahweh would, uh, would help me to help you understand what is written in His Word. I believe that that's what we do as teachers or ministers or whatever be the case. I believe that that's our, that's our job. So if you have your Bibles with you tonight, go ahead and turn them open to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And if you're always willing, we're going to finish the fifth chapter of Ephesians tonight. And that after today, we'll only have one more chapter of Ephesians to go. It's only 24 more verses, two more years. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Uh, and we will have exhaustively studied the book of Ephesians. Dan agrees exhaustively. So um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the book of Ephesians. I have uh, really learned a lot from Paul throughout this epistle, and I have really come to understand a lot of which I didn't understand in the past that maybe I thought I had a handle on, and when I studied it verse by verse, it's opened up my mind to understand a lot of things that maybe I, I had one understanding about, but seen it a different way when I take, take the time to go through the whole book. So, with that being said, let's read verses 22 through 33 in the fifth chapter of Ephesians so that we can finalize the part of the marriage union and our roles as husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. To make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, if you remember, the last two sermons that I taught from the book of Ephesians, we discussed first the wife's role within the home as it pertains to her family and to her Lord, and second, the husband's role as it pertains to his family and his relationship with the Lord. Many things have been covered and a lot has been said on both sides of that. Some things easy to swallow, some things very hard to swallow, but all biblical All of it biblical. So today I want to explain the marriage union as a whole. How it was created or how it is created. What sustains it. And the reason for it. So to start, so to to begin with, what is marriage exactly? Webster defines marriage this way. He says it's the act of uniting a man and a woman for life in a contract. Both civil and religious by which the parties engaged to live together in mutual affection and fidelity until death shall separate them. 
Now that's Webster's definition, and I agree with it. It is a union of mutual affection and fidelity. It was designed to be permanent, and it was designed between two people of the opposite sex, male and female. But who created the idea of marriage? Yahweh did. Yahweh created this union as a symbol, and it was good, and He loved it. As a matter of fact, Yahweh hates the opposite. He hates the idea of divorce. Yahweh didn't intend for somebody to be divorced. He allows for it with Moses, but that was not the intention. Okay? Yahweh created marriage. He instituted marriage in the garden with Adam and Eve, and that union has been the standard for mankind ever since. At least, that is the correct standard for mankind. I know we have some crazy things going on in the world today with the same-sex marriage and gender whodunits, but folks, that's not even really a marriage. That's not something that you can, you can really even make something out of. And I don't care who approves it or what state legalizes it. It's homosexuality. It's a perversion and it's punishable by death, not only earthly, but eternal. And just because a state deems it legal does not mean that Yahweh deems it lawful. It's not lawful. Okay? Yahweh is the institutor of marriage, and He created it to be a union between a man and a woman, and it is sacred in Yahweh's sight. Okay? So that's how marriage was created, but what sustains marriage? That's a pretty broad question, I think, and I guess it could be answered from many different angles, but from a biblical perspective, what preserves and sustains the union of marriage? What causes the marriage to grow? What gives it life? What strengthens it? Well, we've talked about marriage in previous sermons as as it pertains to both the husband and the wife in regards to the role that they play. But the answer I'm looking for when I ask the question, what sustains marriage? What causes it to grow? What strengthens it? The answer is submission. That's what we've been dealing with throughout this text. We're talking about submission. The submission from both, not just one, but both the husband and the wife to the calling of their Lord and the is the key to a good marriage. The submission is key. For the wife, it's the recognition of the authority of her head, be it her husband. Okay, And for the husband, it's the recognition and submission of his head, be it Christ. When both parties are submissive and obedient, then the marriage will flourish. But when one part or both parts are not submissive, then the marriage will suffer. It'll fail. As I said before, husbands, it is our job to stay in tune with the Word of Yahweh and to follow the leadership of our Lord, and to manage our families the way that He managed the church. That's our, that's our job. What a task, huh? Yeah. What a task. Men, you, you want something to do? There's your one right there. It'll keep you busy day and night. We don't have it easy. And wives, it's your duty to follow the lead of your, of your Yahweh fearing husband. It's your, it's your duty to do that and to support him and to raise your family in fear of Yahweh as we are in fear of the Lord. It may sound pretty simple, and I guess it should be, but we as humans, we suffer from a little thing called pride. All of us do. Okay, As husbands, we want the ultimate authority. We want to you know, push our wives down. Pride puffeth up, and wives, you share the same desire. Because of pride. Wives don't want to be put down. They don't want to be suppressed. They don't want to be ruled over. And rightly so. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. I gave the example last time of how Christ never, ever suppressed the church. He never did that. If you read the gospel messages, you'll never see where Christ puts His thumb on anybody that's His bride. And He doesn't put His thumb on anybody. But rather, He nurtures the church. He leads the church. 
Christ was so good to His bride that we have no reason not to follow Him. We desire to follow Him because He's so good. Because of the love that He's shown us. Men, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. So guys, submit to the instruction and the example that Yeshua gave you. His example was how He loved the church. And men, we are to love our wives in that manner. It starts with us. We're the head of the household. It starts with us. But wives, it doesn't end with us. It doesn't end with us. Wives, submit to your husbands just as Christ, just as the church submits to Christ. Follow expecting a great leader. Follow your husband with the intention and the, and the expectation that he will be a great leader to lead you in righteousness and lead you in holiness. That's what you should expect for your husband and follow, follow in that manner. And in doing this, you can expect many blessings. A love-filled marriage a sacrificial marriage, and a lasting marriage. You can expect those things. Our submissiveness to one another and to our Lord will create a perfect soil for which marriage will grow and flourish in. That's what we want. Submissiveness for for husbands and wives is what will sustain marriage all the way around. Not just one side has to be submissive. We both have to be submissive. We all fall under the headship of Christ, but there's levels and tiers by which we do so. So in verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 5, now I'm getting to what we were going to talk about today. In verse 28 of Ephesians 5, Paul goes on to give an example to us men as to how to love our wives. Okay, I didn't cover this last time because I know us men couldn't take too much in one sitting. And I done beat up on us enough, so I, I let us all off the hook and figured I would talk about it today. And I'm going to cover it now. But Paul says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves also himself or loves himself. In the same way, what does that mean? What does that mean? Read right before it. It says, in the same way that Yeshua cleansed the church church by giving himself to her to present her holy and blameless, we should love our wives in that way. And how does this work? When we covered verse 27 the last time I talked, I talked about how a man should go out of his way to groom his wife with holy things of Yahweh. I used examples like encouraging her to read and to study, to participate in the feast and the festivals, encouraging her to be a part of ministerial services or ministerial activities, encourage her to, to go to ladies' functions, things like that, and to surround herself with holy women, holy women that participate in in Yahweh's word, okay? So that she might be influenced by other righteous people. And I think that's what we should do as men to encourage our wives. Men, take your time to educate and exhort her in Yahweh's word. Helping her to understand what Yahweh has for both you and her and your marriage as a whole. This is what Christ did for us. This is what our Lord did for the church. He educated us. He groomed us. He, he bathed us in righteousness. And likewise, we should do the same for our wives. I remember when I first started studying the Bible years and years and years ago, Kim was probably still is, but then was much smarter than I, I was about, about biblical things. And uh, this, has been, this has been a while back. But anyway, when I started to study it to the capacity that I, that I study it and understand it and learn it now, or know it now, I remember bringing things home and sharing things with her that I'd you know, come across in the Bible and different understandings that I come up with. 
And um, we would agree a lot of times, and a lot of times we would disagree. Sometimes it would cause feuds within the home, and you know we butted heads and things like that. I would say, I see it this way. She said she sees it another way, and so we would argue and battle it out, and you know, so forth and so on. And um, that's not always a bad thing. I, I think I look back now, and I'm really, really thankful that I took the time to come home and say something to her. And likewise, she did the same to me. She um, she would study a lot. She studied the the Torah club things for years and years and years, and far more educated in the Torah than I am. And she would she would educate me. We would we would have conversations, and together we learned, and together we grew with our mind and our eyes focused on the same goal. The idea was to please Yahweh. And I learned from her, and she learned from me. But it was important for me, as the priest of my home, to to guide my wife into understanding. However, she's like I said, she was pretty smart. She's probably smarter than me, but... But nonetheless, that was my job to do so. And I encourage you as men to, to be ready, to be able to give a defense for your faith, to know what you know, and when you lead your wives, guide them in a way that, that, that nourishes them, that brings them along with you. Don't leave them behind and grow in your, grow in your faith and in your, in your wisdom and then leave them to the side and just say, hey, honey, you have to do it this way because this is the way I do it. That's not, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. Teach them. Teach them along, along the way. And so, um, anyway, uh, I think it's important that you take your time to educate and exhort, you know, her in Yahweh's word and help her to understand. And um, so, in verse twenty-eight, that's what we read just a second ago. It is merely an extension of verse twenty-seven. It says, "In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No man in here doesn't love himself." There's not a person in here. And I don't mean in a boastful, prideful, arrogant way. Now, we probably struggle with that way too, but that's not what I've got in mind. What I'm talking about is from a physical standpoint. There's not a man in here that doesn't, that doesn't love himself from a physical standpoint. Every man in here would do anything that wouldn't do anything that would cause himself or harm or inflict pain to himself. I would think not. I would hope not. You wouldn't get into a car... Go run it into a bunch of trees just to see how it felt. You know, I, I, would, I hope we got more sense than that. That's ignorant. That would hurt. Maybe even kill you. You love yourself. When you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, you take a bath, you take care of yourself. You love you. I love me. When I get up in the morning, I, I take care of my hygiene. You know, I, lo- I love me. I want me, to, I want me to look decent. So in the same way that we care about ourselves and how we look, and how we smell, and how we feel, and how we function, is the same way that we should be concerned with the well-being of our own wives. Now, if we take the physical aspect, or the physical side of that metaphor, and we transfer it to the spiritual side, that is also how we are to care for our wives spiritually. We're supposed to care for their spiritual nature the same way that we care for our spiritual nature, the same way we care for our flesh, we care about their flesh. Okay. Not only should we make them soup and bring them Tylenol and things like that and tell them to lay in the bed when they're sick, you know, not only should we do those things, but also on the physical side, we should do that as well. We should nurture their spiritual weaknesses the same way we nurture their physical weaknesses. We have to tend to those because we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. The priests, if you will. The priest of the Bible made the sacrifices for the nation of Israel. Okay, Yeshua, our high priest, 
made the salvational sacrifice for his bread, for his bride, the church. And he being our example and our head shows us that we are to make the sacrifices for our physical bride and our co-heir of eternal life, which is our wife. I hope you see that. I know I'm spending a little bit of time, but I want to get the point across. I hope you I hope you get that. Verses 29 and 30 say this. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of His body. I hope you understand the correlation between the physical and the spiritual. Christ refers to the church, number one, as His body, and number two, as His bride. Both. And in the same way, we are to view our bride as our own body. This is significant in order to understand verses 31 through 33. When it says no one ever hated his own flesh, it is extremely accurate. I've already, I've already mentioned this, but folks, there's not a man in here that will cause himself harm intentionally. Well, your wife is your own flesh. Why would you bring harm to your own body? Why would you destroy or harm part of yourself? You wouldn't. On the contrary, you would provide for it and you would care for it. Do you know that Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 8, he says, Now if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for his household, he has denied the faith and he is the same as an unbeliever. This is pretty serious stuff we're talking about. The perfect union between a man and a woman. The example set in place by our Lord and Savior should be viewed as a direct command of how we are to treat our own spouses. How is it? just like we care for ourselves, just like Yeshua did for the church. He is our example. Let's look at verses 31 through 32. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I've got a daughter soon to be married. Aubrey gets married in October. This is a common phrase. It's usually, usually said at the wedding ceremony so uh so listen over here we go when i started this sermon i told you that i wanted to talk to you about the marriage union as a whole how it was created what sustains it and the reason for it we've talked about how yahweh created it to be in the first part of the sermon and about how submission is what sustains the marriage one to the other so now i want to talk to you about the reason for the union and why yahweh created the union of marriage. I believe it was a shadow or a type of a greater thing to come. All throughout the Bible, we have what we call types and shadows of things. For example, Moses was a savior of Israel, just as Yeshua was a greater savior of Israel. Okay? Moses was a type of the greater, Moses was a type of the greater salvation that was to come. Moses first delivered the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians, but later Yeshua come on the scene. And he delivered people from the bondage of sin and death. Okay? And before Moses, the Israelites had another Savior. His name was Joseph. Okay? He was sold into slavery by his brothers and taken to Pharaoh. But later on, we see that Yahweh's pl- it was Yahweh's plan all along. And through Joseph's hardships, he was able to save a nation of people. You remember when the famine come on all the land. You know, Joseph read, read the dreams. The seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine and... All, all, all the while the Israelites were suffering, or at least his his eleven brothers were suffering. Okay, so he saved the nation of Israel, so to speak, in that way. And Yahweh put him in Egypt to do so. 
So Joseph and Moses both were shadows or types of a true Savior, which was Yeshua. And this is common throughout all of Scripture. Another example is is of Elijah and John the Baptist. It is said of Elijah that he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their father in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. Okay? However, this prophecy is fulfilled through John the Baptist during the life of Yeshua in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, where it says that John will go before Yeshua in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. John was the fulfillment of the prophecy in a greater time, in a greater setting. Okay, <clears throat> And this is an example, another example of shadows or types of greater, of greater things to come. So now I want to show you how the original marriage union is a shadow or a type of what Christ would do for us. So stay with me. What was the reason for the original union that Yahweh created in Genesis chapter 2? The marriage union. And how did Yahweh make, make the union to last? What made the union so desirable to cause men and women to want to be married? If everything, let me, and let me stop right there for just a second. If everything is perfect, why does a man desire a woman, and why does a woman desire a man? Just if you just take it back a little bit, why does a man? What causes him to want a wife, and what causes a woman to want a husband? Yeah, maybe so. So, so, so that would that would be the question to, to keep in mind. Okay, Paul says, according to verse thirty-two, that it's a mystery. But it's profound. If we can understand this, I believe that we can be blessed by it. So the reason for the original marriage, I believe, is that it was a type or a shadow of Christ and of of Christ and His bride. Does not the union of man and woman draw the picture of the Messiah and the church? Well, I believe so. Paul has just given us several verses to explain the point of the profound mystery. In the beginning, when Adam was created. He was all alone. There was nobody like him. Okay? So Yahweh created woman from Adam. But why? On the surface, I believe the simple answer is that Adam was alone and he needed a companion and a helper. Okay? I believe the simple answer is that. I believe that that's what the scripture says. And I believe it's true. Okay? However, I believe there's another reason for the creation of Eve outside of her being a helpmeet to Adam. And that is that the union, and that is that the union of the first marriage would be a standard set in place for all to follow that follow that that come after Adam and Eve. Okay, a type, if you will, not only a standard that we could look at in the sense of male and female as it pertains to procreation, but also a standard as an example of how the marriage union would be viewed from a spiritual standpoint, meaning Christ in the church. In other words, Yahweh, looking down the corridors of time and created marriage as a way to illustrate the way a son and his bride are to care for one another and respond to one another in a union. And Paul uses this shadow or type to show us how we are to care for our spouses. However, Paul doesn't include, in verses 32 and 33, he doesn't include why it is that a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. He simply says he will leave, they will be joined and the two will become one flesh. But were they not one flesh as individuals? Were they not complete as individuals? Okay, Sure, they were complete. They were individuals. But they were only individually complete. They weren't complete as a union or complete as a whole. Okay, Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 real quick. 
and look at verses 15 through 24. I'm going to read them. I hope everybody is uh, staying with me. This was hard to put on paper to get it out of my mind and <laughs> so everybody could understand it. I, I, I think I got it figured out in my head, so uh, I tried to put it to paper. But anyway, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 15, I'm going to read through verse 24 and I'll try to try to pull all this together. It says that Yahweh the Almighty took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And Yahweh commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Then Yahweh the Almighty said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. So Yahweh the Almighty formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky. And he brought each of the animals... He brought each each to the man to see what he would call him. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found who was like him. So Yahweh the Almighty caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. The Almighty took one of his ribs, and he closed the flesh at that place. Then Yahweh the Almighty made the rib... He had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Now listen to verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. This is why. See, Adam was all alone. He was complete in himself. But in some way, Yahweh could see the loneliness in Adam. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. By the way, this is the only part that I know of where Yahweh talked about his creation and said it was not good that he be alone. Okay. So what does he do? He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And by the way, ladies, it never says that he woke up or that he came out of it. So if you're wondering why your husband sometimes doesn't pay attention to you, it may be because we're still under the effects of Adam's anesthesia. Okay, We're still suffering. Anyways, Adam was put into a deep sleep. Yahweh took one of his ribs. He fashioned Eve and Yahweh closed up the flesh where he removed his rib. Right? Well, I think there may be a little bit more than just taking a rib. Okay? First, let me mention this. The word used here for the word rib in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 22 is the Hebrew word selah, if I'm saying that right. T-S-E-L-A. It actually means side. Okay? Everywhere else that the word is translated in our Bibles, it is translated side or either something similar to the word side, but it is never translated outside of this passage as rib throughout all of the Bible. Okay? Now you say, what does that matter, side or rib? Who cares? And I agree, I don't care what Yahweh took out of Adam to make Eve with. It doesn't matter to me if it was her side. It doesn't matter to me if it was her rib. The fact is that he took something from Adam. He fashioned Eve. However, it may have some significance on how we understand Ephesians chapter 5. Entertain me for a second. Let me just tell you what I think. Let's just say that Yahweh removed Adam's side, not his rib. Okay, If this is what happened, then a very large part of Adam would have been missing. Something that he would have longed for, that he lost. 
Okay, not just a rib, but maybe the side. Right? And whatever Yahweh took from Adam, He gave it to Eve in efforts for her creation. Now, when Eve was created, Yahweh brought her to Adam and He presented her. And what did Adam say? This one, at last, is bone of my bones and what? Flesh of my flesh. Flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. Notice Adam doesn't say bone of my bone only, but also flesh of my flesh. It is, pretty, it is a pretty common understanding that Yahweh took all of one side of Adam's rib cage. Okay, not just one rib, but took half of his rib cage. A lot of scholars believe that one half of Adam's torso was removed in efforts to create Eve. Okay, I'm not saying that it's fact, but I tend to agree, and here is why. In Genesis chapter, chapter 2 and in verse 24, it says this. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. What is why? Because Yahweh took part of Adam. Why does a man leave his father and his mother and bond with his wife? Because he's missing part that is embedded in the woman. This is why, in Genesis, it says, this is why a man leaves. After he says he took one of his ribs. He took one of his ribs, sewed Adam back up, and he says, for this reason, this is why a man will leave his mother and his father and he'll be joined to his wife, so that they become one flesh. If Yahweh removed half of Adam's torso... That would be a pretty strong reason for Adam to want to reunite with what completes him. See what I'm saying? So when Adam's side was removed, and let's, I'm just using, I'm using that theology, let's just say that it's his real side. When Adam's side was removed, he now sees Eve as a shareholder in his body. And there's no pun intended there, but I believe that she truly was a shareholder. Thus creating the desire to unite with her. He has a reason. He, has, he, he wants to be with her and once the two are reunited in that way, they become one flesh. They're complete as long as they are together. When they separated, they're lacking something. Adam is not complete without Eve and neither Eve without Adam. Okay, so let's, let's take that understanding back to Ephesians 5. And let me, let me say this before we go back to Ephesians 5. Have you ever noticed that a woman has every attribute that a man is lacking? Or a man has just about every attribute that a woman is lacking. So, pros, I won't, talk, I won't talk about the bad things, but a woman's usually kind. She's usually gentle. She's got a heart for children. Men are not typically that way. A man, he's strong. A woman's a weaker vessel. A man, he's, he's got courage where a woman may not have as much courage. Things like that. There's part of Adam that's missing, and I believe that that was the part that created Eve. Okay? So let's take that understanding back to Ephesians 5. We look at verse 29 again, and it says, and Paul says this, he says, No one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Do you think Adam would have done anything to harm Eve? No, absolutely not. She had part of him in her, and to harm her would have meant simply to harm himself. Okay, She was part of Adam's body the same way that we are members of Yeshua's body. So in verse 31, Paul says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. For what reason? Because part of us is missing, and it's in the woman. Part of us is missing. Do you see that he's using the analogy of the marriage union to explain the intimacy between Yeshua 
and His church. Our Savior and His bride. He's using the two and paralleling those together. The same way that Eve was part of Adam, so we are part of Christ. The same way that the man left his father and mother to find the part that's missing to be joined to his wife, which is his other side, it's the same way that Yeshua left Mary and Joseph and was joined to his church. The same way. We are part of Yeshua that needs to be joined to him. We are the missing we are the missing rib or the missing side, okay? And in our unification we find in that when we're putting back together in that union we find safety. We find care and we find provision in our Lord. Okay? So in the same way Christ does that for us, and Adam did that for Eve, we men are to love our wives that way. We're to care for them. We're to treat them as if they're part of our side that was removed. So what is the conclusion of the matter? Verse 33 tells us, To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. The conclusion of the matter is... That's all Paul is saying. After all the analogies and all the deep thought, here is the sum of it all. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Husbands, love your wives in this manner. Just as Christ loved the church, and wives, respect your husbands. And in that, submit to Him just as, just as the church submits to Christ. In closing, I want to say this. The marriage union is a precious thing. <clears throat> it is a symbol of unity that was created in the garden. And it is used as a type or shadow to explain the union between Christ and His bride. The union of marriage was created by Yahweh and He saw that it was good. It is good. Marriage is good. Okay, Brothers and sisters, if this union is to not only work but also to be the witness that it's designed to be, it must be maintained and it must be taken care of. You ever heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? Well, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. It's never greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greenest where you tend it. If you take care of here, the grass will be green right here. You take care of your home life. You take care of your wife. Wives, you take care of your husbands. The grass is always green. You're standing in a big old pretty pasture all the time. Okay. <clears throat> the ingredients for the perfect union are, are a submissive wife and a loving husband. Both sides have to be there. No marriage will work without both people doing their respective parts. So husbands, love your wives as if they're your own bodies. She might have half of your whole side in her. You never know. And wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And men, let me reiterate this. We go first. We go first. Make things right. In the case of our salvation, Yeshua went first. We did nothing to deserve the gift that He provided for us. And that is because He loved us first. He loved us before we ever thought about loving Him. Okay, Christ died for the church long before the church submitted. So love your wives without expectations. Serve her without looking for a submissive wife or something in return. Sacrifice yourself for her own welfare. For her own welfare. Whether you reap results or not, love her even if she doesn't notice or respond to what you do. Do this because your example is our Lord. And He did it for you when you didn't deserve it. When you didn't deserve it, He loved you. Okay, Ladies, same goes for you. Being submissive to your husband is Yahweh's design. Okay, But it's for your blessing. It's for your blessing. And you too have to be, remember that your Messiah sacrificed Himself for you. 
when you didn't deserve it either. The ingredients for the perfect marriage are a submissive wife and a loving husband just like Christ who loved us first and gave himself for us. That's the way a perfect marriage is designed.